0: Amen. Let's grab our Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can just grab the Bible from the pew rack in front of you and open to page 1133 and you'll find Matthew 18. We have just finished up a a six-week study of I Am Second. And it's just been a wonderful summer study. It's been a wonderful time. Of connecting together and God's shown us so much and I've really been waiting for today for uh, quite some time. I've been planning what we would do today for a long time, uh, waiting for this uh, rare opportunity that we have where we are completed with our, our summer series, but we don't begin uh, all of the fall things and go back to our normal schedule till next week. And so we're able to to squeeze this Family Summer Sunday, right into the uh, middle here and be able to do this together today, have the talk we're going to have and spend time together uh fellowship together th- over a meal. It's just going to be a wonderful day and I'm excited about it. We're going to look at Matthew 18 and we're going to sort of uh, take it a, another step as to what we started talking about last week. Because last week as we were putting all the pieces together and, and I was talking about the dangerous tendency... That we have as believers to gravitate towards living for something that's a lesser glory than what God's called us to. That we, if we're not mindful, if we're not vigilant, uh, then as a, as an individual, as a follower of Christ, as a family of faith together, all of us run the great risk of sort of retreating into uh, a mode that we ...don't want to be in. It's really the danger for us... ...is that we would maybe become a people... ...who have right behavior for the wrong reason. And that's not at all... uh, ...what we want to become. I mean, who in the world... ...wants to be a part of a... ...religion that is built around... ...what you don't do? It's a... ...Christianity is a relationship that you do... ...that you have, that you possess, that you live... It's uh, far more about uh, walking with Christ and the joy and the peace that comes with that than it is about uh, it's not a it's not a group of people that get together and and uh, submit themselves to a couple of rules. And then in doing so, they they perfect themselves. Remember last week we talked about what happens subtly if we're not careful is that the enemy wants to destroy what we have here. In other words, wants to infiltrate our family, wants to infiltrate all the wonderful things that God's doing here, wants to wants to come in and try to uh, distract you away, maybe not with bad things, just with lesser things. And so we have to be we have to be proactive as a faith family. We have to always be. Uh, looking forward and always be uh, staying very, very close to the gospel and what the gospel says and what is the gospel message and don't get tangled around with other things because we we don't have to look far. Uh, probably most of us in this room know people who are followers of Christ, or at least they say they're followers of Christ, and yet their their religious experience tends to be uh, where they they just uh they, they try really hard, they go to church, they, they they then get feel guilty, they try harder, they go back to church, they get more guilty, and eventually they just get tired and burned out. And what happens is is that uh either at the end they just give up and quit, or they just sort of uh go into this uh sustaining mode where they're motivated by guilt. And the, the primary function of their life is tradition and not transformation. And what happens is the glory of God that's within them is covered, is veiled by a veil of condemnation. And so we talked about that last week. And now what I want you to see is that the world, uh, the world longs to see a demonstration of Christ that Accompanies our explanation of Christ. In other words, the things that we the Scripture says about God, the world longs to see that in people. And when 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 people meet people who who genuinely walk in a relationship with God, it it's striking to them. It's compelling to them. They they are uh, moved by that. They're curious. They ask questions. They wonder. They don't understand. It's a it's a beautiful thing. People apart from Christ are drawn to authentic relationship. And we are so blessed here to have so much love in this room and to see God doing so many great things. And we have to be very careful. We have to be very mindful that we don't drift to lesser glory, that we don't move into, we don't shift into neutral and just start coasting along. And so today we're going to look in Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to see a very strong warning that Jesus gives us about protecting what we have here. And constantly checking and and rechecking our priorities and our motivations. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is going to really answer the question, uh, what is our responsibility to children? Children. It's a very, very important discussion. It's something that every year we need to take time and we need to have this talk and we need to be reminded of the the blessing that our children are and the uh, the vast importance that the gospel puts on children. Let's look in Matthew 18 and let's let Jesus speak for himself. And teach us this morning, Matthew 18, beginning in verse one, Jesus says uh, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, well, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we receive it today as the perfect gift that's intended for us. And Lord, we pray you'll give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, that we might see the glory and the splendor that's before us and that you would move in and through it and change us. Do as you will here, Lord, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Now, some of you are thinking now we have discussed this passage in depth. We talked about this when we came across this same discourse in the gospel of Luke. But let me tell you that you cannot Uh, overemphasize the importance of what Jesus is saying here. And there's so many ways in which this relates to us as a congregation and to us as people and that we constantly have to be reminded of this for some specific reasons, which I'm going to give you this morning. Well, first, I want you to see that Jesus here is being very forthright, as he always is. He's speaking very... Firmly says some things that sound a little bit harsh, but understand that he's not saying that the path to meet God is by being kind to children. That's not what he's saying. He's instead saying that it's impossible for a person to come to God and not care for those who are least powerful or most vulnerable or those who are the neediest among us or in our society. He's simply saying that, a priority of the kingdom is such. Meaning that anyone who is in the kingdom will then engage with this priority. That this is His priority. It's His kingdom. He makes the decrees of the kingdom. Therefore, all the people who are in His kingdom are under this authority. Now, when Jesus says that this is the way things are, He means this is the way things are. When when He says that it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble, he's giving us an indication of just how serious he is in what he says. That children matter to God, and they matter to God for very specific reasons. One of which is is that the gospel message is seen through the lens or the eyes of children. Think about the the essential message of the gospel. That when we were vulnerable, when we were helpless, when we had no power, when we had no voice, the one who had all the power and all the authority came to our rescue and saved us by His amazing grace. That we didn't do anything to earn it, that we didn't position ourselves to receive it, but that He stepped in in our helplessness, and that He holds all power and authority, and yet He moved in our direction and He swooped in and saved us from the penalty that we justly deserved. That's the essence of the gospel. Now, it, it's not—it's not that we we are, are cared for by God because we can offer something in return once He saves us? It's not about that at all. But it's it's that He loves us because He is loved by nature. That He by nature loves. And it's His nature to love. And therefore, He loves not based on our merit, but based on His nature. And it is so important to see that. Because we struggle, all of us struggle, with insecurities in that area. That we we find ourselves in, in certain areas of our life to be unlovable. We 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 struggle in all different capacities across this room with with how how to be acceptable, how to be lovable, how to how to find uh, what we're looking for uh, from from people and relationships and so on and so forth. But it's not that way with God. He loves because He is. Love, that, that the definition of love comes from the person and character of God. So here we sit two thousand years later after Jesus spoke these words with the very fullness of that same love that he came to earth with residing within us. Therefore, how is it that we we don't, or we can't, or how is it that we wouldn't respond in love to those who are now vulnerable in the same place that we once found ourselves in? You see, that love is within you. And if you are his child today, if you're his son or his daughter, it's always going to be trying to find a way to creep out of your life. That, that love is always trying to find a pathway to get out to show itself. And this morning, I want to help you just open the door of your heart and be reminded about uh, all the wonder and the splendor that comes when we let the love of God pour out of us that He's poured into us. You see, when when we become a Christian, we're not improved upon. It's not like God in salvation uh, simply adds something extra on top of who we are, but that we've been remade into a brand new creation. That that it's it's not an addition to, but it's a it's a destruction of the old and a and a construction of the new, that the fingerprints of the God who came in the form of man in Jesus Christ are all over us. And so when you read and, and, and you hear what Jesus is saying, that the same God who's speaking is the God whose spirit is in you and in me. And so that makes us engage with this word in such a a supernatural way that the one whose spirit resides inside of us is the the ultimate defender of the underdog. He's the the consummate voice of the voiceless. He's always the defender of the defenseless. That even in the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah... Oftentimes, the the prophets would prophesy in the context of that He's coming to set captives free. He's coming to to minister to the weak. He's coming to father the fatherless. All of these things that that, that Jesus is pointing to, and that, that and that reside within us. And so, verse six is a clear indication of just how serious God is about what He says when He says, "Now if 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 someone is to make one of these stumble it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and to be drowned now let's let's ask this question why do kids matter so much to god why well first of all i would say because kids are powerless and voiceless because kids are powerless and voiceless look at verse 2 then jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them now When when the the Scripture says a little child, this word is most often used to describe someone who is about the age of a toddler. So you've got a very young child and Jesus picks the child up and He sets the child in the midst of them. And it's important for you to understand that before you you just rush past and get into the the meat of this text that you realize that Jesus had to set the child there, the Scripture says. That That the child couldn't set themselves there, but that they needed help. They're they're powerless, they're voiceless. I want you to think about what happened yesterday. What happened to you yesterday? For some of you, yesterday was uh, a day of mowing grass. Maybe for some of you, you worked yesterday. For some of you, you uh, did errands or worked on the honeydew list, or went grocery shopping, or cleaned the house, or slept in, or did all sorts of things. I don't have an idea what you did, but I I know that you did something. And while you were doing that, something else was happening. While you were doing that yesterday, 3,000 children died from malnutrition. That every single day that clicks off the calendar, three thousand children perish from malnutrition but it's interesting you don't hear cnn talking about that it's not in the newspaper That if anything else happens on the planet Earth where 3,000 people die, if there's an earthquake and 3,000 people die, that's all you hear about. If there's a typhoon and 3,000 people die, that's all you hear about. If there's a terror attack and there's 3,000 people die, that's all we would hear about. Everyone would be totally immersed in nothing but news and information about what has happened and the the 3,000 people that died. But every day, 3,000 children die and no one hears anything. Because they don't have a voice. Because they're powerless. They just perish. They just come and they just go. And no one knows. And it's interesting that we know so much about what goes on around the world. But you never hear anything about the children that die every single day because they don't have enough food to eat. You see, we can't overlook the fact that children can't call the world's attention to their plight. Children don't get on the news and put a microphone in their face and start screaming about the injustice. You see, politicians know that children can't vote. And so they're really not concerned. They don't pay taxes. They they're just easy to overlook. They don't have any power. And the one who came To transform the powerless is still today in the business of listening to the voice of the voiceless. Jesus loves children because children are so easily overlooked. Kids are easily mistreated because they lack power. They can't defend themselves. hundred and twenty six million kids are in unjust labor situations right now around the world. Eight million of those are in situations that really fit the term slavery. That with every passing year, the number of kids around the world that are sold and sex trafficked rises. It's not going down, it's going up. And how can we as followers of the God who spoke this word, how can we as possessors of his spirit within us turn a blind eye to what's happening around us? Well, we can't and we won't and we don't. And this is why God so specifically, he, he, he calls us to respond to this charge. This is why we send teams every year to Moldova. This is why God has raised up Tammy Garfield right here in our congregation to have a heart for the orphans of Moldova. And so she's always trumpeting the cause of those orphans. And and so many of you support those orphans on a monthly basis so that as they uh, graduate from the orphanage, that they, they are able to go into a safe place until they're adults so that they don't get sex trafficked. That's why we as a congregation are engaged in what's going on around the world because we recognize the reality of this problem and the reality of what Jesus has commanded us to do. And I applaud so many of you in this room for what you are doing and what you have done and what you continue to do. And it's amazing and wonderful. It's what God's called us to do. It's not that we pat ourselves on the back. It's that we, we say, as Craig quoted this morning from Romans 12, that we present ourselves a living sacrifice. It's our reasonable service. It's a reasonable service. And so thank God. You see, God doesn't just tell us to do things. You see, he, he plants you in a family that is doing things and he invites you to be a part of it. He gives you opportunity. He raises people up in the congregation to, to trumpet a cause for us to get behind and rally behind and be obedient to the causes of Christ around the world. You know, that's the thing. Don't, don't get discouraged by the statistics I give you. It's terrible and it's horrible and it should break your heart. But it's not God's intention for one little church in the middle of nowhere in Podunk, Mississippi to, change the, uh, all, to, to solve the problem of 126 million children. But you know what it is our responsibility to do? To change the future of every single child that we possibly can. And if the Scripture teaches to whom much is given, much is expected. Buckle up. God loves children because they're powerless and they're They're voiceless. 8,000 children every year are abused or neglected in the state of Mississippi. Many of the children that so many of you spent the day with yesterday at the children's village in Wiggins, many of those children have been exposed to horrific things, heartbreaking things. They've seen things that you, you, you and I would hope that no adult would ever have to see or experience. And we can't go back and we can't change that. But what we can do is go up there and we can show them that, you know what? We know school's starting. We know that's hard. We know that it's hard enough for our own kids to to walk into a new school the first day of school and not know people. But how hard is it when you live in an orphanage? How hard is it when you wear hand-me-downs? How hard is it when you when you don't even have parents, when you ride on a school bus and all the other kids know where you got picked up? but one thing they do know is that there's a church 30 minutes south of them with a whole bunch of people that do care and do love them. And yesterday you were able to see them smile and laugh and just be reminded that you know what there are good things in the world and there is a there there is hope and there is possibility for the future and that we love you and we care about you. You know when we when we do uh, princess for a day and children from all over the area come and and little girls, you know, walk into uh, Charlotte's Wonderland down there in the fellowship hall. And it's like an army of ladies descends down there. And it's it's so amazing. I always, always, always go down there because when I walk in, I can't believe it's the same place. I can't believe you could make that that room look that spectacular. And you see all those little girls putting those dresses on and getting their hair done and their makeup done and, and they've got little jewelry stuff going and everything. And so many of those girls, it's just an opportunity for us to say, you know what, you're beautiful and you're special. And that God loves you and we love you and we just want to encourage you. We, we recognize that you don't have a, a voice. But, but we do and we want to be sure to tell you that we love you. And that we think you're amazing and wonderful and beautiful. You see, you you know children don't have a voice. Because if they did, how would 1.3 million abortions be performed every year in this country? You know why those abortions are performed? Because the only thing that this country cares about right now is the voice of adults. The voice that says, you know what? I don't feel like dealing with this. I don't feel like taking responsibility for this. I don't feel like this or I don't feel... Their voice matters, but no one cares about the 1.3 million voices that aren't heard. Don't you see that God, God is a God who speaks on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves, who intervenes who intervenes for the weak and the neglected and the unheard. He's a defender of those who need to be defended. And so God loves kids because they're powerless and they're voiceless. Number two, God loves kids because they possess an open heart. They possess an open heart. See, children are so special in so many ways. And I've always asked myself, why... Why do I love kids so much? I mean, I know that I'm a little over the top. I understand that. And, you know, this weekend, Lisa and I went and had dinner at uh, a wonderful family in our church's house. And, you know, they've got three amazing kids. And, and it's hard, it's hard to, for me to even have an adult conversation because I'm over there rolling around and jumping on the furniture and playing with the kids because I just love the kids. Because their heart is so open. Because they they don't pretend to have it all together. Kids kids put their struggle right out there for you to see. There's no pretense with kids. And I'll be honest with you. I set out to do something just to have a little bit of fun. But in the process, it really turned out to be uh, a great illustration of what I'm trying to communicate to you. So rather than me tell you just... Watch this little video and watch the struggle right outside the hearts of children. I rest my case. It's your kids. You see, children, children are in tune with their struggle. They they it's they, they don't pretend to have it all together. They don't they don't act like, you know, uh they, they don't have any problems. They don't have any struggles. They they they're they're wrestling just like we are in our head, but they're they're okay with it. They recognize this is the worst torture that anybody could ever do to me and they're talking to themselves going no don't eat it don't do it because they're but we struggle the same way we just don't admit that you see if you think about it the older we get the less open we are to the message of a supernatural god you see as we get older we get jaded we we begin to to get too you know Condensed around the things of this world. We, we get affected and changed by the years that have pressed on and the hardness of this world and it affects us. You know, small kids are, they're not, they're not cold or bitter or rejecting or wounded. Those are all words that only apply to adults. You see, kids are, are tender and, and open and, and real and genuine. Children by nature are most trusting. The most trusting times in our lives are when we're young. They're the most open. They're the most moldable and shapeable of anybody in our society. And that's why Jesus says in verse 3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, he doesn't say that become childish, he says, become childlike. That their 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 hearts are still able to embrace hope and, and wonder and the splendor of the message. And when you teach them about God, they marvel at the at, at what you're saying and they think about Noah and the ark, and they think about what that must have been like, and they imagine in their minds, whereas so many adults just think, oh, it's just a silly children's story that has no application for today. Do you think God thinks it's a silly children's story with no application for today? See, He knows. He knows whose heart is open to Him. And it's the heart of kids. Kids are able to give love and to receive love so easily. It's so easy for them. It takes very little effort to win them. You just smile and love them. And they just return your love with their affection. And it's just wonderful. It's just amazing. You know, I'm a, I'm a hugger. I like to hug people. And and I I believe strongly in the power of touch. And I'm always... I always have my hands on your shoulders or I'm hugging you and thanking God for you. And it's what I love about kids is that kids give the best hugs. Kids just embrace you and they just grab a hold of my leg and they squeeze so tightly. And it's just amazing and wonderful. Kids are important to God because they possess an open heart. Number three, kids are important to God because they know they're needy. They know they're needy. In other words, they know their weakness. Think about the fact that children are so easily frightened. Why? Because they're, they know, they're afraid of every, even things that they know they shouldn't be afraid of. They can't not be afraid of it. My kids favorite game when they were growing up was hide and seek because we never played hide and seek the normal way. It was always they count and cheat and I would go and hide. But when they found me, you know, I would always jump up and go rah and chase them. And so they I'm their father. They know I'm not a monster. It didn't matter. When, when they looked behind the door or I jumped out of the closet, the terror in their eyes. And they would run as fast as they possibly could to mom as if, you know, Sasquatch had just come out of the woodwork to eat them and we do it hundreds and hundreds of times and they would be just as afraid the 100th time as they were the first time because they they know they're needy and helpless they they're so quick to ask for help kids kids just ask for help so easily unlike men who find it so impossible to ask for help we can learn from children. Children will bring something to you and say, will you help me with this? Will you show me how to do this? Will you... Because they're, they're needy and they, they know that. Number four, children are important to God because children represent the moral future of society. This is what I mean. I mean, Jesus says in verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. In other words... The way that we treat children. Jesus equates to the way in which we relate to God. Our relationship to children, our relationship to God are inseparable. But now keep going with this understanding. In other words, the way we relate to God is going to determine the future in which we possess or experience. In other words, if we follow God, then God's going to. Gonna bless our, our future. How many times in the scripture are we, does God say, if, if you as my people, if you'll humble yourself and pray, I'll heal your land. Well, if the way we treat children is gonna determine the moral fabric of our future in the sense that a society that is violent towards kids is gonna raise violent kids, is gonna create a violent society. Are you with me? Yes. And so, in a culture where every year more money is spent on pornography than on professional football, baseball, and basketball and hockey combined, combined, are we naive enough to think that the trickle down nature of sin It's not going to destroy our children. That would be very foolish on our part. Very foolish. Every man addicted to pornography will sooner or later impact the lives of children either directly or indirectly through his very own children. What we do today with regards to the way we love children is going to impact the moral fabric of the future that is before us. We need to take responsibility for the children that we have, the children that are around us, the way in which they're treated. Every opportunity that we have to share the love of Christ With every child that God gives us that opportunity, we need to make sure we do the highest, the best, the most diligent job in each of those lives because it is that important. Now, this would normally be the time when I would go into telling you all the ways in which you can apply what I've just said in your own personal life and with regards to your life here as part of this family. But there's one more thing I want us to talk about before we finish this morning and that is the reality that you are actually in a place right now that does an extraordinary job of loving children. That On any given Sunday, on any given Wednesday, and on many, many, many other days across the calendar every year, you will find a multitude of adults and families that give and give and give and give of their time and their energy and their effort to love kids. I am forever astonished at just the way in which so many of you have been blessed by God and so freely give of yourselves and sacrifice in such amazing ways for our children. But there's something I need to say to you and there's something that the rest of us in here need to hear this morning. And it's really a principle that I... Saw in John 13, it's a, it's a very, very famous passage of Scripture. You all know John 13, that's where Jesus is in the upper room and he's about to celebrate Passover with his disciples. And the Bible says that he gets up from the table and he begins to gird himself and, and, uh, with a towel and he fills a, a basin with water and he's going to wash the disciples' feet. And in that moment, here's the followers of Christ sitting there in utter astonishment as to what exactly is about to take place here. What does he think he's going to do? I mean, this is, this is God. This is the one that we've seen do all miracles. And this is the one that we've seen uh, just uh, illustrate to us and speak on behalf of God. And now it's as if he's going to kneel down and, and wash our feet. And he, he comes to Peter and Peter says, Lord, are you, going to, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus responds and says, Peter, you don't understand what I'm about to do now, but you will when I'm done. And Peter says in John chapter 13 verse 8, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Never. There's just no way that I am gonna allow the Son of God to kneel down and wash my feet. I mean, that's just un, it's, 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 it's uncomfortable. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just too, it's too far, Lord. That's not gonna happen. There's no way you're going to wash my feet. There's no possible way that I could sit here and allow you, God, you're the one we're supposed to worship you. We're supposed to exalt you. We're here for your glory. You can't kneel down and wash my feet. And it's what Jesus says in response to that statement that is intended in all... All humility and all sincerity. But Jesus' response is so telling. It's so important for every single one of us to get this morning. Jesus looks back at Peter and he says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. You see, he's going to go on to say, now that I've washed all of your feet, now you go and do likewise. You become foot washers. You give your lives to to washing the feet of others. But before he says that, he says, Peter. If I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Jesus is saying. You can't be a foot washer unless you have your feet washed by Jesus. The danger is not so much here that you would just not serve. That's not who we are. The danger is that some of you in here Wash feet, wash feet, wash feet, wash feet, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And you never stop to let Jesus wash your feet. You cannot be a foot washer unless your feet are washed. Meaning that your feet are clean when Jesus is done washing them, but it won't take you long. You won't travel far down a dusty road before they're dirty again. That's the nature of feet. They need to be washed on a regular basis. You need to understand. Some of you in this room are getting tired. You're burning out. Because you've been washing feet and washing feet and washing feet. It's because you don't stop and take a breath and let Jesus wash your feet. Jesus washes our feet primarily when we come to Him and worship. When we worship Him in, in adoration. Through song, through His Word. Jesus washes our feet when we Spend time with Him in prayer. You have to remember, servant, you have to have your feet washed in order to empower you and enable you to wash others' feet. And so for us as a congregation, here's our responsibility. We need to make sure as a family that we're all pitching in and that we're all doing something so that none of our brothers and sisters are neglecting to get their feet washed. Because these are people that you love and they're people that I love. And we know the symptoms of not allowing your feet to get washed Because what happens is the ministry that at one time was so motivated by love and joy, it begins to slowly become frustrating. It begins to slowly, just the joy begins to just seep out of it. Suddenly, our focus is horizontal and not vertical. See, a servant that needs their feet washed is a servant that is looking around and consuming themselves with what other people are doing or what other people aren't doing and not what they're doing. It's because they need their feet washed. They need to sit down and let Jesus wash their feet. See, the Son of Man came... Not to be served, but to serve. And I understand that it's a its a strange concept that we, like Peter, think, I would never let Jesus wash my feet. But it's the only way He operates. You see, He's got to fill your cup before you can pour it out for someone else. And so the... The challenge for us this morning in thinking about just how much God loves children is multifaceted. The first facet is is that we, we have so much to be grateful for and so much to be thankful for. The fastest growing area of our church is children's ministry. That is an extraordinarily rare thing I want you to know. That our nursery preschool department is busting at the seams. That for for the last two months, we've had a long-range planning committee working and strategizing and planning and thinking about how we're going to be able to sustain the growth that we have and where we're going to put the kids. And it is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. And so the first facet is just a a heart of gratitude. Gratitude that... Next Sunday night, the very place that we're going to eat in this afternoon is going to be teeming with kids. And an army of adults that are going to be running that Awana ministry and teaching the Word of God to children. And kids are going to be growing and being molded and shaped in such amazing ways that every single time we sit in this room, There are so many children that are being loved and held and told about God by people who are just servants. They're just servants. And Jesus said, that's the path to greatness. And so the first facet is we need to be thankful first and foremost to God that we are in a family of faith with so many great people because they are all over this room. The second facet of this text this morning is that some of you in this room need your feet washed. That right now, you know that God is speaking to you, and you're pulling back the tears that want to come down your face because you know that you've neglected allowing God to wash your feet because you've been so busy serving. And there have been times when you've been frustrated lately and you've wondered why more people aren't helping you or you get frustrated because things don't go smoothly and you realize that the joy is beginning to get zapped out of doing ministry. And I want you to know this morning that that's why we're having this talk. We know that. We love you and we're here for you. And this morning, Jesus is going to begin washing your feet and then we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that your feet get washed on a regular basis so that you're able to wash the feet of our children. And the third facet is simple. It said if you don't have a job, you need to get a job. It's time to get off the sidelines and get in the game. Don't let your brothers and sisters neglect getting their feet washed. You need to make sure that there's not a need anywhere in this church and especially, especially with regards to children. Don't, don't just think to yourself right now, well, maybe I'll Maybe I'll, I'll do something about that. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pray about it. You don't need to pray about it. Jesus just said it. I'll save you the trouble. You need to do something. Today. Today. One more warning. To all you servants that are out there. Be careful. Listen to what I'm saying. Late last night, our food service ministry, they're still down there, slaving away. And believe me, they love every minute of it. And they're so good at it. But we have a responsibility To make sure that they don't get empty. Because if one of our brothers or one of our sisters gets empty. They get in a very dangerous place. Because you know what empty people do? Empty people will grab a hold of anything to try to get full. A lot of empty people. Go through very, very, very difficult times in their life. Stray away from the Lord. Make terrible decisions because they got burned out. There's some of you in this room that this place represents a a safe haven for you. I know who you are and you know I'm talking to you. Because when you came here, you sat down in my office or we sat down at Taco Bell and you looked at me and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm hurting. And my family's here because for years we've been in another church and we're tired and burned out and frustrated and empty. And we just need a place to come and to heal. And we're so glad we can be that for you. We're so glad. You see, we'll never, ever, ever be a place that burns each other out as long as we're all in this together. I mean, look at the people in this room. What can we not do? I'll show you a video during lunch that will just bless your heart like you can't believe of the the fruit of what's being done here in the lives of children. It's an astonishing thing. So we're grateful today because God has allowed us to worship Him amongst so many great people. We're cautious today to make sure that if we're serving, we don't get empty, that we're getting our feet washed. And we're conscious today That we all need to play a role in some way, shape, or form. It's good to be part of a family, isn't it? It's good. And it's good to have a heavenly Father that gives us clear direction so we don't have to wonder. We don't have to scratch our heads. All we have to do is go. It's good. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are so wonderful and so good to us, Lord. And we thank you that in your goodness, Lord, you have given us the joy of being a part of a church family, Lord. And, Father, that right now hundreds of people in this room can just think back on all of the amazing ways in which you have impacted our lives through the people around us, Lord. Thank you, Father, that there are always those willing to stand in the gap and to serve our children. We're so very grateful for that, Lord. We give you praise and glory for it. And we we ask you to just bless them today. And we want you, Lord God, to through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, just... Remind them of how amazing it is to you. The smile that it puts on your face to look down and see their greatness in the kingdom of God, even though it is so often overlooked in so many areas of this life. And Father, today there are those in this room who need their feet washed by you, Lord. They're tired, they're empty. And Father God, they they just continue to press on. They just continue to push themselves to, to get through another week or another month. Father God, we ask that you begin to wash their feet, Lord. That you begin to remind all of us that we need you. That we can't do anything until we have just sat before you and allowed you to minister to us. God, in so many ways, we may have grown up and we may feel big and powerful today, but Lord, the reality is, is that we're not and that we can't and that we, we still need you every moment of every day. Thank you. Thank you for placing your spirit within us and always being With us and available to us, Lord. Thank you for reminding us today to yield to you. Father, we thank you. We thank you that there are many in this room who are going to become a part of this family through service because of what you've spoken today. And we thank you for that. That there'll be there will be people in this room who will find a joy that they never knew they were missing. That they will engage their lives in the lives of children. And that in a place like this, we, we get to see those children grow up and, and get married and then have children. It's such a beautiful thing, Lord, to see how you have poured into such young lives that so many people think it's just a waste of time, that they don't get it, it won't matter. But we've seen it matter. There are young moms and young fathers right now in this place that I remember in the preschool department. Father, we thank you. We thank you for every hug, for every spoken word of love, for every encouragement, every verse, every little Bible lesson, every little illustration, every little gift of Christmas, every birthday card that's come in the mail, every snack that's given with a smile, every single one of them has been used for your glory in so many lives. We know it. We've seen it. And we thank you. We thank you. So, God, all we can do is be humbled at the greatness and power of you. Don't ever let our priorities stray, Lord. Don't ever let our motivations become impure. Keep us centered and grounded upon your purpose on this earth. And your purposes amongst us. So, Father, today, we just say thank you. Thank you for being the God who saves to the uttermost. The God who works when it doesn't seem like anything will work you work. That every need in this very moment can be satisfied by you. Every hurt can be healed. Every wound can be touched, Lord, right now. We thank you. Will you do in this time what only you can do. And we're going to give you the praise and glory in Jesus name. Amen. The altars open. Come, servant, you come now and bow at the throne of grace and begin the process of saying, Jesus, I need my feet washed. I'm tired and I'm hurting. Wash my feet. Mom, Dad, you pray now and thank God for every person who is sown so greatly into the lives of your children.